0: Hey there, and welcome to The Pseudo Show, brought to you by the Destination Linux Network. Today, we'll share our very first on-air interview featuring Greg Myers from GitLab. We'll discuss what it means to be an application for the entire DevOps pipeline, and what it's like to work for a company that believes everything should be open source. All that and more on The Pseudo Show. Hey there, this is Eric the IT Guy, joining you by the magic of post-processing. I wanted to acknowledge an issue ahead of time. During recording, we were finding connectivity and latency issues with our hosts. This resulted in some noise in the raw audio. I wanted to apologize in advance for the drop in quality. I wanted to assure all of you that we will learn some lessons from this experience and plan to implement them prior to our next interview. Thank you so much for understanding. Now back to the show. Welcome to the Pseudo Show, your home for all things enterprise open source. I'm Eric, the IT guy, and joining me every episode is my smooth talking co-host, Brandon Johnson. How you doing today, buddy? Doing all right. It's
1: been a difficult week, to say the least. You know as this we recorded this on September 10th, and uh, on uh, September 8th, I there was a huge uh, windstorm that blew through Salt Lake City. Hundred mile an hour winds, lots of fun. Took up my power until yes five PM yesterday, so I've been uh, getting my home lab back up. I've been catching up on work since I haven't had internet access or anything like that. It's been one hell of a week. Uh, thankfully, you no know, damage to the house.
0: And, and uh, I, I think you had a, a good piece of advice uh, about uh, solar power, actually. Yeah, uh, make sure your system is is a disconnected
1: system, or uh, or you have a battery backup. To go along with it that, that's a lesson on a solar for, for the week.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that'll be a new segment for the show but uh, considering that uh, the, that my family and I are starting to plan out what our uh, what our future homes going to look like I, I definitely jotted that down in the uh, in the lessons to learn. I also recently finally had some time to jump into a learning series that uh, the engineering team at work puts together every quarter. It highlights some of the key features and releases for our products uh, that that have come out or getting ready to enter GA. It it just it was a much needed break. It was a much needed just time to sit and study and and learn about what's coming up uh, in in future releases, And, and it's. Because I, I get to then take that and talk to our customers. And one of the most rewarding parts about being a solutions architect is that I get to, I get to see my customers get excited when they, when they think about new features and how to tie it in with their, with their infrastructure and, and just see how, how they can use it. It's, it's like, hey, I found this toy. Why don't, you, why don't you play with this toy that I found and, and tell me what you think? And, and just seeing how different people might, might use, those, uh, use those features and functionality.
1: Yeah, that's part of the reason why I got into this job. I, I, love, I love the tinkering and I love the um, all, all the things.
0: Well, there is something else out there that's making me excited, and that's Bitwarden.
1: Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and, and business organizations to store, share, and sync sensitive data. If that was enough reason to use it, Bitwarden is 100% open source and our preferred tool for
0: password management. Just this past week, in fact, I was picking up some gear from Micro Center and realized I didn't have my credit card with me. Did that ever happen to you? It happened to me. So I I have my expiration date and the CCV security card or the security number memorized, just not the, the big 16 long digit debit card number. So what do I do? Well, I had my phone, and so I was able to log into my Bitwarden account to look at my credit card. I just I cannot get enough of using Bitwarden. It, there's actually a, a an item, a, a credit card item that you can create within the Bitwarden app, so you can save some of those uh, some of those uh, types of sensitive information between their apps, the web interface, the family accounts, uh, and and their amazing price. I just I love this product more and more every day I use it.
1: I hope you're using two-factor authentication with that.
0: I am indeed. Those
1: are just a few of the reasons why we love uh, Bitwarden, and we're so proud that our sponsor of the Pseudo Show and the entire Destination Linux Network. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with a premium account for just $10 a year. That's less than a dollar a month. You might say that's darn near free. I am going to tell Ryan we're
0: completely stealing that. <laughs> So in case you missed the announcement from last week, The Pseudo Show is going to host our first ever live episode. What is even cooler is that you all will be part of it.
1: Join us Wednesday, September 23rd from 7 to 9 p.m. UTC or 12 to 2 p.m. Pacific time for our first Ask Me Anything episode. You'll be able to jump into a video chat with Eric and I to ask us anything about open source careers, education, business. Or Star Trek? Yeah, we'll see.
0: (laughs) The day of the event, we'll send out a link to the Zoom conference on our website and on social media. You'll be able to jump into the lobby and ask us questions live on air. Make sure you have your headset ready to go, and please keep it family-friendly. Other than that, it's Ask Me Anything.
1: If you can't join us, send in your questions early by emailing us at contact at sudo.show. We can't wait to see you September 23rd at 7 p.m.
0: UTC. It's no secret that I'm still maybe just a little bit kind of in love with GitLab as a company and as a product. And I love GitLab
1: too, uh, especially when upgrades don't fail me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think we mentioned that a few episodes ago, but uh, uh, one thing's for certain, the uh, the, the folks in, in our matrix chat definitely give me a hard time for how much I, I talk about GitLab and how much I, I love working with, with a product and how much I enjoyed being an employee there. But I mean, it's true, because I, I, you know, I can't deny it, because GitLab gave me my big break. I moved from my operations position as a systems administrator into sales as a solutions architect. In fact, Joel, my hiring manager at GitLab, saw more of my own potential than I saw in myself at the time. So we decided to bring in someone who's on the front lines every day. As we'll discuss today, the culture, the people, and the technology make GitLab an open, collaborative, and exciting place to work.
1: Joining us today is Greg Myers, a support engineer at GitLab. Welcome to the Pseudo Show, Greg.
2: Hi, Brandon and Eric. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
0: So how does it feel to be the first official guest of the Pseudo Show? It feels
2: great to be here. Uh, I listen to a lot of Linux and open source podcasts, including all Destination Linux content. So Pseudo Show has been on my radar since the very first episode, and it's earned its place in my top five must-listen-every-week podcasts.
0: Well, we are definitely thrilled to have you. You know, yours and my story actually started a few years ago, right around the time that I started working for GitLab. Uh, you and I were part of the, some of the same communities, uh, much, much like, uh, how Brandon and I met and, and started, uh, chatting together. Um, so it was, it was really great when I think I was hired on just a couple of months before you were. And it was it was great to immediately have some relationships within GitLab. So, would you care to tell us a little bit about yourself? You know, what did you do before GitLab? What attracted you to the company? And and then finally, what's what's a day in the life look like for you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, first, a little bit about myself. Um, at GitLab, I spend most of my day helping GitLab users with their self-hosted GitLab installations. Uh, basically, GitLab customers right to GitLab support with their problems or questions. It's my job to find solutions and share answers. Um, outside of work, I'm, I'm very passionate about open source software, uh, free and open source software. And it's, it's kind of the spark that ignited the flame for me. Really the reason I am where I am today and what made me choose my career path. Uh, basically, I use Linux and open source software whenever possible and have for past six years, uh, both at work and outside of work, I spend a good chunk of my free time playing with self-hosted FOSS and leveling up security skills, uh, keeping up on the latest and greatest developments in DevOps and container orchestration tools, um, and then I do. I do spend some time away from the keyboard. Uh, usually, I'll either be reading, playing guitar, camping, or hiking in the southern Utah wilderness. We got a lot of really uh, beautiful public land out here parks and forests and really neat canyons to explore. So, I try and get outside, um, at least on the weekends, and, and kind of get out and explore nature, see what all. Utah has to offer. Where was I before GitLab? I I had worked, uh, my background is I started in web development, moved to a position as a Linux systems administrator, basically because I got into Linux as a web developer. And from there, just kind of knowing a little bit of Python, some Bash scripting, some YAML, I got a job as a DevOps engineer. At that point, I the the company I was working at, we had some downsizing. I was part of the company that did not uh, carry on. And so I I was left with a little bit of a parachute. And I felt it was a really good opportunity to find a job that I would really, really enjoy. Not just enjoy during the work hours, but I would have a sense of personal accomplishment or feel like I'm giving back in a larger way uh, with the work that I do. I basically made a short list of companies that I thought of working for, and I thought, all right, this would be a really cool company. I like how transparent they are. They're open source uh, with the community edition, very focused on self-hosted and self-managed software. It's not a second-class citizen to have the self-hosted. It is is very full featured, so I basically sought out a job at GitLab. I got a job that I really enjoy, so that that's where I am today. And um, I I just help people with GitLab day in day out.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I I actually kind of fell into my my role at uh, at GitLab. I was I was at a DevOps conference here in here in Kansas City, and I, I ran into one of their sales folks. We started chatting. And he's like, you know, we we could use you over at GitLab. And uh, how little did I know that uh, he he was on the winning end of that. Uh, <laughs> he he got me hired. He got the referral bonus, and uh, you know, I got to I got to work for GitLab. So it, it was it was kind of a win win win. I think that's a really good place to start, because one of the things that one of the first things, honestly, people notice about GitLab is how much of, uh, of the application itself is open source. And that's not just the application, though. It's also the handbook. So I was able to read up on the hiring process before I even had my first screening call. Greg, you, you want to speak a little bit to that? I know exactly what you're talking about. So
2: in between the first time I applied and the second time I applied, I was actually able to find the onboarding issue for a GitLab support engineer. And I worked through it to get an idea of what I would need to bring to GitLab to be effective from day one.
0: (laughs) It was almost like cheating. They gave you the answers. (laughs) <laughs> pretty much yeah i think i think
2: gitlab sets a really high level of transparency like it's it's communicated that really everything we do is to be public by default Everybody can contribute to any work that we do. So it, it, it doesn't matter if it's our software or our handbook or our documentation. If you want to contribute, we make it so that you can. By being public by default, making it so everybody can contribute, it ends up basically everything we do is in the open. The entirety of the way GitLab works, our company operates, our handbook, we've been working on it for about six years as a source of truth for how things happen. I, I encourage you to take a look. It is way too big for any one person to ever read, and it is updated uh, multiple times a day.
0: Yeah, it's really impressive just how much work uh, goes into keeping the handbook current. Um, So moving on, how did, how did GitLab come to be? I think like most
2: great software projects, GitLab basically started with developers trying to scratch an itch, trying to fulfill a need that they saw, and they couldn't find a tool. Uh, Dimitri, DZ for short, is our co-founder and in 2011, he was looking for a great tool to collaborate with his team to work on software, using source code and management, maybe a little bit continuous integration. Basically, at the time, Dimitri was not satisfied with what was out there. So, started work to make something that would fill those needs. A year after that, GitLab landed on our current CEO, uh, Sid, his radar, and he was impressed, wanted to get involved, uh, saw value in the project, as well as impressed by the code base and community. 2013, Dimitri tweets that he wants to work on GitLab full-time. Sid realized we have demand from large organizations willing to pay for new features, so they teamed up to make it happen, and that, that is how GitLab got started.
0: And I think if I remember my history correctly, that uh, that Sid actually was the one to start the GitLab.com piece, and then uh, and then the company kind of was was formed around that and, and self hosted as well. It's
2: yeah, it's a really neat history. We we do have a web page about it, which I'll I'll add
0: to the notes here. So GitLab has a .com. It, it, it has a SaaS solution. It has self-hosted. It's got different levels of, of products. Uh, it's got follows an open core model. I mean, all that's great. But who, who's kind of the target audiences?
2: So the people who find value in what GitLab has to offer—that's really our community. I used it before working at GitLab just for writing by myself. I think that what makes GitLab really special is when you get collaborating, especially at a larger scale, and you're trying to wrangle all of these different tools. You just want something that gets out of your way but facilitates collaboration. Some, some examples that I'm, I really like, software projects that I know and love who use GitLab, Gnome, KDE, XFCE, XORG, Free Desktop, Kali Linux, VLC, Inkscape, a lot of really beloved open source projects.
0: Yeah. In fact, the, uh, the Gnome Foundation just published a blog post on, on GitLab's blog uh, a few days ago that they've celebrated two years on a self-hosted GitLab instance. And
2: and they've been great to work with. I actually had the opportunity to do uh, to speak at Guadec this year. It was a uh, GitLab support Ask Me Anything session, and it was a lot of fun to connect with folks from the GNOME community.
1: I'm sorry, to see GitLab in, um you know with GNOME Foundation, free desktop. But how, how does aside from ho- you know hosting these awesome projects, how does GitLab give back to open source?
2: I think GitLab gives back to open source in a few different ways. One is just being an open core company. We build and distribute the GitLab Community Edition from a free and open source only mirror of the GitLab Enterprise Edition. And we ship that right alongside Enterprise Edition. Anytime there's an update, a patch, a security fix, that gets in the Community Edition and gets available just at the same release cadence as the Enterprise Edition. This is, I think, that's mainly stewardship. Additionally, we offer top-tier features. We call them our gold plan for SaaS or the ultimate plan for self-hosted. And that basically unlocks all of the goodies. If you are using GitLab to produce a product and that product is licensed under an open-source license or you are an education institution who sees benefit in using GitLab, we're here to hand it over for free, Uh, all access pass to all the features. Additionally, and this is kind of out of the ordinary, GitLab tends to move our top tier features down to the free tier. Great example of this is just recently we had static application security testing and dynamic application security testing features that they used to be ultimate and gold only top tier paid features. And now they're just included in our open core. I believe most of, most of that code has had an open source license applied to it we have essentially moved a paid feature to a free feature. And, and that that's not a unique instance. I think there's 18 features we've done that with this year so far.
0: So you you mentioned uh you mentioned release cadence and and that's one thing I definitely wanted to hone in on for a second because a lot of our audience is interested in learning about about DevOps uh and not just open source but GitLab is kind of a unique creature when it comes to release cadence. In fact, last time I did the math, I think uh, I think GitLab's getting close to 90 consecutive releases without missing a deadline. You want to talk a little bit about that?
2: We release often and ship frequently. We've released a minor version of GitLab every month on the 22nd for years. On top of that, there's also a major version upgrade every year. And in between the major versions, there's also patch releases where we do a quick fix or a security patch. There could be a hundred of those in between minor releases. So really, our quality department, um, our continuous integration and continuous deployment teams, they use GitLab to ship GitLab, to build GitLab. And I think that enables us to ship at such a almost breakneck pace. Um, one thing is that we ship a product so frequently that the traditional package management repositories can't keep up. So we do, if you install GitLab on, on a Linux box, you're, you're going to add a repository source to your system sources, and you're going to get frequent
0: updates. <laughs> Ninety months in a row, give or take. I, I've I've lost track, but close to ninety months in a row. Every month on the twenty second, without fail. I mean, think about everything that goes into that. That's release notes. That's documentation. That's features. That's uh, that's planning a, f- a four week sprint. Uh, and, and there's always a blog post. There's always in depth feature reviews. There's certain features you even get a video out on YouTube. I mean, that's every month for ninety months without fail. I mean, that's that's crazy. Our release cadence, at
2: first, it made me almost uncomfortable because I'm working in support. I know a lot of customers intentionally plan updates. They they set maintenance windows and schedules for updates. And then I see how frequently we release And the 22nd can fall on any day of the week. It can be a Friday or a Saturday, and then you'll have people updating. And if there's something wrong, support generally hears about it. But thankfully, I've been pretty lucky that the upgrades, the Friday and Saturday releases, we don't hear that many issues.
0: Yeah, I can definitely echo that sentiment from a uh, from the sales side because the the twenty second does come up very quickly. You you can be sitting on a customer call and go, yeah, I, I I heard about this new feature. I think it's coming up here in a couple of months. Oh, wait, no, that's that's this month. That that was like yesterday. <laughs>
1: You know, culture is like uh, is a big deal. I mean, I work for a company that prides itself on its culture. And I also see that with GitLab. It's a company that's 100% remote. And GitLab is now employing probably over a thousand people now. I've been working remote for 12 years and I find it difficult to maintain staying connected to the company culture being remote. How does GitLab build or maintain a coherent culture that way?
2: I I think that's a really good question. I started at GitLab and I think I was employee 498 or something. And now we have uh, over 1,300 and I haven't even been there two years. So we've... More than doubled in size in in the past year. And keeping a sense of connectedness and shared culture, both fully remote and at scale, is a challenge. So I think it it doesn't happen accidentally. You actually have to kind of build the culture into the way you work. Ways that I think GitLab did that is we started out with a handbook and processes that were intended for enabling others to collaborate remotely. Started out with a globally distributed team. We needed to all work together. We realized we need asynchronous communication. And so, by having this handbook and asynchronous communication and these workflows, from the start, we thought, all right, we are going to be 100% remote, but we have this culture that is very important to stay connected with, even as we scale. I think one thing we do is uh, scheduling coffee chats. Coffee chats and social time is a kind of scheduled, optional, but scheduled event. And it's get to know your coworkers and your teammates. And through doing that, you find shared interests and connections with others that I find generally with a coffee chat. I realize, wow, what incredible people I work with. And so just finding shared interests and shared connections.
0: I could talk about GitLab culture and company policies all day long. Uh, I, I'm kind of ridiculous that way, but but I know that our audience is itching to dig into into the techno technological meat of GitLab. What does it do? How does it work? How is it designed? So I, I think it's I think it's important to kind of share a, a thought as we dive into into some of the technical pieces of GitLab's. I guess tagline is GitLab is a single application for your entire DevOps pipeline, and I I, I can still say that in my sleep. <laughs> But other than being a tagline, you know, what, is, what does that mean exactly? What, it, what does it mean to be a single application for your entire pipeline?
2: GitLab, I would say it's really a well-stocked tool shed or makerspace or laboratory designed for software development, operations, and a little bit of security. I can use GitLab with just a terminal and a browser window to do most of what I need to do in terms of DevOps and or DevSecOps. Really, I could I could narrow it down to just a browser, but I think with DevOps, you have the development team over here using this group of tools, the operations team over here using a different set of tools, the security team trying to protect development and operations from themselves using a third set of tools, and you're digging trenches and building walls between the DevSec and Ops teams. DevOps, you kind of break down those walls. You, you stop throwing stuff over the wall. And one interesting way to do that is just have a single toolbox and a shared workspace.
1: I, I work with a lot of uh, large enterprises, and uh, you know they they have all kinds of tools all over the place. Whether that's ticketing systems and Jira, or they already have robust CI/CD pipelines in Jenkins, or Team City, some other tool that they've already made heavy investments in. How how does GitLab work with those third party tools for teams
2: that have a third party solution that works for them, Jira or Jenkins or what have you? If that works for you, that works for you. We're not going to force you to replace it. What we do is a lot of times we will offer integrations. So JIRA and Jenkins and a couple dozen other integrations we have make it so that you can use GitLab with the third-party tool instead of changing over to GitLab from your third-party tool. I think that ends up in a much better user experience, a much better onboarding. It enables customers to try out features in a way that works for them. If it comes time, you're reviewing all of your different tooling and you say, do we really need Jira? Do we really need Jenkins? That's when you can, can maybe move away from the integration and start thinking about, oh, how could we use the features GitLab has and the functionality native to GitLab to basically replace our old workflow with something where we can deprecate the third-party tool.
1: It's like the integrations. I, I've worked with uh, tools that say, yeah, we'll do integrations, and it's a lot of, ends up being a ton of coding just to get those integrations to work. How how do these integrations work with GitLab? Is it a simple webhook or is there a lot more work to integrate those third-party solutions?
2: The official integrations, it is basically configured through the user interface entirely. You don't have to leave the web browser. So things like JIRA, Redmine, authentication things like LDAP, OmniAuth, uh, Bitbucket integration, Jenkins. This stuff, really, there's a set of fields, um, and it can be set up per project or sometimes per group or at the instance level. You basically go in, you fill out the fields in a form, and that sometimes includes, like, add the URL for the external tool, add the authentication token or the access token for this tool, and then you click Save. From there, it just works. We do have stuff like webhooks where people can just create their own integrations from scratch. You can just send a webhook to whatever endpoint you define.
0: And and one thing that, that's great about GitLab is is that is once you set up that integration, like with Jenkins, uh, you just drop a Jenkins file into your repository, and GitLab will, will talk to Jenkins, and then uh, Jenkins reports back with an artifact when it's done. It, depending on the level of integration, it's it's really amazing how many tools GitLab can actually work with, uh, and and that's. <laughs> That's coming from being a systems administrator who says, oh, who's had salespeople say, oh, yeah, our product works with that. Sure, no problem. And then you realize that you pretty much have to write the integration and all the APIs yourself. It's like, no, that's that's not integration. That's that's homebrew. (laughs) All right, Greg, you you sold me, I, I'm going to buy GitLab, uh, as as if I needed to be sold on GitLab. But uh, you you sold me, I'm, I'm going to buy the product, and I am want to have my team use it. I want to get my, my DevOps people, my security, my ops people, I want to get all my team together, and want we're, to we're going to use this thing. And then there's always silence. And then the, guy, the team lead always looks at you and goes, now what? So how would you get somebody started? Somebody has a project, somebody's wanting to use GitLab as, as their single source of, of all the DevOps wonderfulness. How would I get started?
2: Getting started with GitLab, I think it's the easiest entry point is create an account on GitLab.com or, or just get started with the basic source code management capabilities. Once you're there, if you would like to automatically build software, well, that's an option.
0: Let's dive into that just a little bit. Um, you say if I want to build an application, well what's what's going on underneath the hood? What is, what does that look like? How do, how do the pipelines work?
2: There's two sides of GitLab. There's the GitLab application, and then there's the GitLab runner, which is the executor or the environment in which builds and tests and deployment take place. And really behind the scenes, that's some Go code and often Docker or some some level of containerization. Say you have a repository, everything in that repository you can build using a make command. You can create a build job that essentially a Docker container or development environment pulls that source code, it runs that make command in a CI job, and it outputs an artifact. Could be a binary, it could be a package, or it could be a Docker image that gets saved as an artifact to GitLab, you can distribute it from GitLab. If it's a a Docker image, you can even reuse that in your CI jobs from that point on or pass that on to the next stage in the CI pipeline. Uh, Similarly, for testing and code quality analysis, you can have the repository source code be analyzed in this GitLab runner CI environment. We're running scanners on the source code Scanners generally exist in a Docker image with all the dependencies bundled right in. You pull the Docker image. The Docker image uh, pulls the source code, runs the scanner, outputs an artifact with the results. Test results, code quality results. One thing I really like is GitLab's security features. There's also things like static application security testing, uh, secret detection. Container scanning, uh, dependency scanning, stuff like this that really helps uh, the SEC side of things. It's really just adding a CI template to your CI file to enable it.
1: So Greg, this ties back in, into earlier, but how, how does uh, GitLab use GitLab to keep the uh, keep the company productive?
2: So at GitLab, we have this idea called dog fooding. We would feed our own dogs dog food that we produce before we go selling it to everybody else's dogs. Or we use our own product. Basically, every position, it doesn't matter if you are in people ops or HR or if you are a developer engineer, you're using GitLab most of the time to do what you do. If we are users of our own product and we create solutions that fill our needs, then we can be proud of what we ship to customers because we've tested it ourselves.
0: It's an ingenious system. I mean, using GitLab to build GitLab so that there's development teams and engineers that are working in the product every day. And some of the new features, this is probably still true today, but when I worked at GitLab, what was cool was features came in from one of two locations from either the open source community or from, from within GitLab itself, because the developers writing new features and writing code for GitLab would be like, Hey, it'd be really cool if our, if our Kanban boards did this. Well, okay, let's, it's our product. Let's write a feature that does that. Because if we have this problem, I'm sure there's, you know, dozens of projects and companies and, and developers that, that would love to have the same feature too. So GitLab is definitely a tool for folks who want to get things done and who don't want to have to spend a ton of time fiddling with their tools, trying to get integrations to work with everything that exists to everything that they're trying to build. You know, GitLab is just that tool for people who want to get things done. And last week, we actually unveiled a new segment for those people. And I personally am hoping that this becomes a regular staple of the pseudo show. And we're affectionately calling it the Productivity Corner. If you have a better name, tweet us at Pseudo Show Podcast. But for now... (laughs) It's the Productivity Corner. This week, I figure in, in light of our GitLab conversation, I thought we might share some tips for being productive while working from home. GitLab is 100% remote. So Greg, you being the the GitLaber in the, in the proverbial room, why don't you share something that helps keep you productive while working from home?
2: So GitLab is not my first totally remote job. I did have three fully remote jobs um, and a number of all remote gigs. I have a few tips and tricks related to remote working in particular to share. I think the most valuable thing I've found is to set up a dedicated workspace and workstation. I find when you're working from home, it's very easy to recreate where you work and to work where you recreate. And this ends up mixing your work brain with your relaxation brain. And it's not a nice feeling. I suggest taking some space uh, and a separate machine or workstation, setting up a work-only environment where you go to while you're working and you leave when you're not working.
0: Yeah, that's a great tip, Greg. Having having that visual cue to say I'm in work mode or I'm in recreation mode is is really helpful to kind of switch between. From from my own experience, one of the things that I've noticed is I may know that I'm deep in in work mode, but how do how do I communicate that in in, a, in an effective way to my family? Because I could be writing, um, I could be on a customer call. How do I communicate that to people outside the room? So something that I'm hoping to do probably sooner than later is hang some sort of an LED outside of my office door. In fact, when my son was was being born a little over four years ago, I actually read a blogger who hung a stoplight outside of his office. It was a sign, pun intended, to his wife and kids as to his current level of involvement. So if it was green, he wasn't heavily engaged and and his spouse or or whatever could just come on in. Uh, If it were yellow, he was engaged in something important. So the policy he set in his own house was knock first and only if it's urgent. And then obviously red meant that he was in the middle of a conference call or deeply ingrained in a task, and so basically only enter if someone's bleeding or if the world is being invaded by Martians. I really like that
2: idea. I might have to uh, see what you have. Steal that idea. Personally I work at home with my significant other who also teleworks about half of the time. My solution thus far has been headphones and if you need me wave or tap me on the shoulder, but I think it'd be neat to have some sort of sign outside the office door. What I what I do for chat applications, I will set a status because my coworkers I have a hundred people in the support team, and then there's thirteen hundred GitLabbers. They could ping me at any time. So what I'll do is I'll set my status to away and something like laser focus mode for one hour, and and just kind of schedule these focus times or communicate when I'm really focused. So that if you get if you get pulled out and you're deep focused on something, it takes a long time to catch up.
1: And I'm sequestered in my basement, which is awesome. But adding on to to that, Eric, I, mean, I actually saw a blog post from a former coworker of mine not that long ago uh, where he integrated with uh, WebEx's APIs, and whenever he was in a meeting, it would change the color of an LED just right outside his office door.
2: If you're working remotely, working from home, it's really important to make effort and make time to socialize. Physical isolation from your coworkers should not mean Social isolation. If you don't make time to have like unscheduled interaction, coffee chats, or water cooler conversations, it doesn't happen when you're working remotely. There's a lot of value in that. Just building connections with one another on a human level and the nonverbal side of communication, FaceTime is also valuable. If you can't do in person meetups, video chat is a pretty good proxy.
0: A lot of studies have shown that people tend to work more hours or are logged in for more hours when working from home. And that, and that's fine over short periods of time. But in, in the current global climate that we find ourselves in, there's family, there's friends, there's pets, there's time with your, with your spouse or significant other. I mean, there's a lot of aspects of your life that can just pass you by while you're, while you're sitting behind your desk. So, in in fact, a change I made a few months ago to kind of help with that, and, and I'm happy to report that the world hasn't yet come to an end since I've made this change, but my, f- my devices actually spend more hours a day on Do Not Disturb than they do enabled. So, right now, I'm sitting at 13 hours of Do Not Disturb s- scheduled every day. So, at 8 p.m., uh, notifications go off. At 9 a.m., uh, they come back on. Um, although if I'm working on something deep or if I'm in a meeting, uh, I usually turn D and D back on. Um, so it, one of the things that helps me a lot, and this was true in the office, but it's, it's as true, I think working from home is when you get that ding or when you get that, when you get that vibration on your desk, it, it shakes your attention to what was that? What do I need to do? Who needs my attention? And whether you're, whether it's earth shattering or not, you end up having to address the notification, and then you lose a lot of productivity time uh, making that switch. It's, it's context switching. It takes close to 20 minutes to go from working on this task to working fully on this other task. So it's, it's really important to manage those notifications.
2: Absolutely. Notification fatigue is very real.
1: The way of, I've been minimizing my interruptions is actually utilizing airplane mode on my phone. Completely disconnecting my device from uh, from the cellular network has helped quite a lot, especially at night I mean just set the airplane mode, put on the charger and two three hours before I go to bed just uh, keeps me from getting the uh, getting the notifications
0: so how long does that process take with your 27 tablets four phones and three laptops? Well
1: I don't have four phones <laughs> I only have three phones jeez I didn't get it right <laughs> Well, <laughs> all I have is an iPhone, a Pine phone, and, uh, and a Sony XA2.
0: Well, if you want to learn more about GitLab, head on over to get about.gitlab.com, where all their policies and roadmaps are public and updated almost constantly. If you want to kick the tires for yourself, sign up for a free account on gitlab.com. You can follow their events and updates on social media at GitLab. Thank you, Greg, so much for joining us today and, and for, for letting us use you as a as a guinea pig for our first interviewee. And it was great to uh, have a chance to reconnect with you and chat with you about a truly amazing company and product. Uh, is there anywhere people can go to keep in touch with you?
2: Yeah. So I tend to use social media in read-only mode, so I'm not that much fun to follow. But you can find me at gitlab.com slash Greg, which has a link to my LinkedIn profile.
0: Awesome. And you'll be able to grab his email address as well as his link to his GitLab profile in the show notes. Uh, in fact, uh, this is probably a good opportunity to remind everyone that we do spend some time uh, populating the show notes. So anytime we mention an article or an interesting product, we try and, and put a link there. Thank you so much for joining us today. As always, your feedback is welcome. Head on over to sudo.show slash discuss. And one last reminder to mark your calendars for September 23rd at 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time for our two-hour AMA event. So Greg, I hope you don't mind if I put you on the spot, but we, we always push people for, for feedback and, and ask people what they want to hear about. Cause ultimately this is, this is something that Brandon and I do for, for the community. So if you, if you could pick any topic to have on the pseudo show, what would you like to hear about?
2: So I will say my passion for open source started with installing Linux on an old laptop, and that just opened a whole new world for me. I've been using Linux on the desktop ever since. I'd really love to hear about Linux on the desktop.
1: That's funny. I mean, we do, we do have some, some ideas behind that. I mean, I as far as I'm aware, I'm pretty sure outside of government organizations, I worked on one of the largest uh, Windows to Linux migrations ever done. And we're going to kind of do a retrospect on that in a later episode and kind of talk about how, how I would handle that today. And we may have a special guest on the show to talk about that.
0: Yeah, it'll, it'll be a great uh, chance for, for Brandon to kind of sit down on the couch, as it were, and tell us how he felt about Windows on the desktop. Uh, it'd be a real therapeutic session for Brandon. So we're <laughs> we're looking forward to that episode. <laughs> if you'd like more of our content, you can find it over at sudo.show and on Twitter at Show podcast. And you can catch more awesome content over at our network partners, DestinationLinux.network. Uh, Brandon, anywhere else you'd like to send folks this week? As always, you can follow me
1: on Twitter at dbrandonjohnson. Or my website at open-tech.net and i do know i owe everyone a video for mist.io that has not published yet i will be publishing that shortly you're
0: without power for a few days i guess we'll let it slide this time <laughs> and you can follow me at it guy eric or on itguyeric.com. remember the pseudo show is your place for all things enterprise open source until next time